0: Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the director of the Henry Nowen Society, and I want to welcome you to a new episode of Henry Nowen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nowen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry to audiences around the world, and every week our desire is to bring you either a new interview with someone who's been deeply influenced by the writings of Henry, or perhaps even a clip of Henry Nowen himself. Because we're new to the world of podcasts, taking time to give us a review or a thumbs-up or even share this episode, will mean a great deal to us. It'll allow us to reach more people around the world with content that continually tells us more about Henry Nouwen's writings, his encouragement, and of course, his reminder that we are God's beloved. So with that said, let me take a moment to introduce today's guest. I'm speaking with Bethany Dearborn Heiser, the author of a wonderful new book titled, From Burnout to Beloved, Soul Care for Wounded Healers. Oh, you can hear the echoes of Henry and in this title. Bethany's been a social worker, jail chaplain, and justice advocate, but in this capacity, she pushed herself to the brink of burnout. Stress, despair, and compassion fatigue overwhelmed her ability to function. She was exhausted. This book captures Bethany's story of burnout, self-discovery, and genuine spiritual renewal. It's such a good and helpful book. Bethany, I needed to read this book. Bethany, set the stage for us. Tell us what caused you to write this book.
1: To be honest, I didn't set out to write a book. I had even been doing a podcast is new territory for me. As you just mentioned, I worked directly with folks um, experiencing sexual and domestic violence and navigating the various systems of immigration, incarceration, and recovery for years. And as you mentioned, I experienced my own burnout. and um, and I had to do my own digging into my own unhealthy workplace codependency. I mean, one of the barriers, as well as other barriers that were affecting my ability to take care of myself, and I started learning about secondary trauma and how much I was being affected by the stories that I was hearing. And it was incredibly helpful to help connect um, dots for me. One of and there's various different um, places that I learned about that, um, but I wasn't finding. Something that integrated what I needed uh, in terms of spiritual discipline, inner healing recovery work, secondary trauma, and also that was rooted in my identity as God's beloved. So as I was taking one step after another in my own recovery and healing, um, I eventually began doing trainings for others, sharing what I was learning. I realized that I wasn't alone in this journey and I wasn't alone in the challenges that I was experiencing and that other people were needing to. Um, needing the combination of tools and resources and learnings that I was gleaning from. So the material I wrote grew and, and grew into a 20-page handout, and I kept writing, kept sensing that still small voice saying to me, right? And so I, I wrote for people, for people who wouldn't normally pick up a self-help book <laughs> like myself. Um... And I wrote for those who are engaged on the front lines of ministry, social work, helping professions.
0: Well, since you targeted a faith audience within the book, and I, I can see that, although it's for everybody, I, I think it's incredibly useful for everyone. But I'm thinking that people of faith, are they particularly vulnerable to burnout? I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, that'd
1: be a hard you know <laughs> thing to analyze, really. But I think there's some, there's some particularities that make um, people of faith um, vulnerable to burnout, maybe people of all, all faith are as well. But I think mm-hmm. people of faith um, think sometimes when we think we are doing our work or our ministry for God, um, we, we press on and are not aware maybe of um, how it might be, become self serving for us. That um, it feels good to be the helper, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: it feels more challenging to receive help. And so I think we can think, oh, this is so, you know, we get accolades for it. We think this is so righteous, and this is, uh, God's heart is, isn't this, God's called me to this. And those are, can all be very true things, um, and yet when we lose touch with how we might also be uh, receiving from the work, and, um, but then pressing on in a healthy ways then we can do damage to ourselves
0: and to others. I found you were so incredibly honest about your own misconceptions. I read here, for years I believed I shouldn't want or need things for myself. I had a hard time allowing myself to do life-giving activities. I unconsciously thought desire was bad, wrong, and should be denied if I'm to be a loving Christian woman. I interpreted the biblical invitation to deny ourselves as always denying our needs and desires. My self denial mm, was partly yeah. due to my interpretation of the Bible. I, I thought that was interesting. I mean, we, we can all go there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there it, there's theological beliefs that can unfortunately get in the way. Um, and we can we can twist them and think um, we forget that, that core truth that now and so beautifully reminded us of in so many of his books, but especially in Life of the Beloved, that we are beloved by God. And so we think that, you know, Jesus' call to us to sacrifice and to lay down our lives for others um, means at our our own expense. And sometimes it does, and yet um, we are called to be sacrificial, maybe with our time, our finances, um, maybe with our whole selves we are sacrificial. And yet sometimes what we are also gaining a sense of purpose or meeting a need for impact or success. And, and now it talks about that as well. His desire to be looked at well, to be received well. And so um, we might think that we're laying down our our lives, but we're actually um, receiving something too from it. Where we, you know, that's the, the um, first Philippians two four. Each of you should look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. Jesus and Paul in that letter calls us to to take care of ourselves and to look to our our interests as well. Um, and some of the sacrifices is, is is putting others' needs in front of ours, and even our own need for intimacy and purpose.
0: It sounds easy to talk about it at a distance, but as I read your book, it sounded like it was a pretty uh, difficult journey. I mean, I think I I kind of grasped that you almost thought you might have to just totally move away from this calling on your life and yeah. this work you were doing well, simply because you couldn't not drown in it. How, how did you, what were the steps out of this? And oh, take us along that journey a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely it was a painful, <laughs> painful journey. And there have been multiple steps. And, and I feel like I'm still in recovery. I think people who are in recovery from substances would say that they're, they're in recovery for their lives. And so I think um, that's been a helpful framework for me, actually, in my own journey is to learn about recovery. And it's actually, one of one of the beginning steps was learning about secondary trauma, largely from um, the author of a book called Trauma Stewardship. His name is Laura Litsky. And I took a class from her at the University of Washington called Self-Care for Social Workers. And um, that really opened my eyes to how secondary trauma, as I said, was impacting me. Um, and then the second big piece was the genesis, process, which is a relapse prevention program, and that we had to do our own work. I was being trained in it to help other people, and yet as a part of the training, uh, we did our own work and sharing with other people and looking at our own false beliefs and um, receiving prayer, and I realized how codependent I was with the people that I was working with and with my own work and my workaholism. And so I think um, those two things combined really started helping me to turn and say, Oh, I'm not doing well. Actually, you know, I thought I was strong. I thought I was fine. Um, I was here to, to help others, and yet I I'm not okay. <laughs> I'm actually quite exhausted and um, not functioning very well. And um, I need my own care.
0: I, I would just like you to explain what exactly is secondary trauma. What does that mean?
1: Yeah. So the so primary trauma would be the trauma that someone experiences to their to themselves. So you know a victim of
0: abuse.
1: Mm -hmm. Secondary trauma would be hearing about somebody, hearing from somebody who's experienced that abuse. Uh, And it actually can lead to very similar uh, symptoms of PTSD um, or similar symptoms to PTSD of sleeplessness, hypervigilance, um, inability to embrace complexity, kind of a way that trauma impacts us. So thinking black and white, um, inability to slow down, and that can impact us in a variety of ways. But, but the, the impact of secondary trauma um, is sometimes unnoticed and yet is, um, un- has similar impacts and can lead to a high level of stress and impacting our bodies
0: as well. It's so good to be able to name something, isn't it? Once you hear it, you go, oh, that's what's been happening to me. That's it. And then mm-hmm. you, you, you said another phrase. You said workplace codependency. Can you just tell me what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so I ha- have a whole chapter on it in my book because I started so I was working with women who are experiencing um, domestic violence. And so it's a common understanding of social work is, is talking about codependency in, in intimate partner relationships. And yet, so I never thought, and most social workers don't think that they're dependent with their work, um, but I started realizing how my inability to be okay um, and when other people are being okay or was not necessarily out of love and out of empathy um, but out of my own need to feel better so that that impacts my work with other people in the way that I want someone else um, I want them to change so that I feel better yeah. so That's, a, that's a, a significant difference although it's subtle because it can look the same in what I'm doing you know being caring saying yes to somebody who's in need and yet if I'm doing that, for myself, um, so that I feel better, that's codependency.
0: In, in the workplace, that's that's really, that's great to understand. There was one other term I found in your book that I think it would be, uh, really resonated with me too, and it was moral injury, all these kind of things compounded. Mm. Give me a little sense of what your experience of moral injury and with that.
1: Mm. So moral injury was actually something that I kind of came across as I was doing research um, for the book, and I hadn't heard of myself, but it, it's usually talked about um, or initially we've talked about in terms of people, um, who are working, well, for in, I was war veterans, um, and or who are, have experienced war and it's the psychological, um, and behavioral <laughs> aftermath of exposure to, to events. So it's, there's a similar, um, component to PTSD and yet it's, what's key, the difference is, is that you're doing it, um, it's a, it's a response that goes against their an individual's values. Um, so it it can happen in workplaces. You know, even right now with our with the pandemic and what's being asked of so many healthcare providers um, is they are having to make decisions. I imagine um, and to work at a pace and to that sometimes might be challenging. They want to provide more care for individuals and they're unable to to provide. Um, so that can cause a, a damage to themselves. That can be distressing to themselves when they're not able to perform their job in the way that they want to perform it. And so, for war, when we're called to perform a duty that goes against our our moral standings and beliefs, um, it causes sort of sort of injury inside of us.
0: I loved your uh, your illustration of you know firefighters right rushing into the fire and then coming out with that's ash right. on them, with soot on them, because that's where they've that's been right. and I think it's really acknowledging... I I can't get over the timeliness of your book. Here we are in the midst of this pandemic, and I'm sure there's many, many, many thousands and thousands and thousands of caregivers right now that are carrying the dust of where where they've been, where where they're caring, where they're being demanded of. Um, And uh, you have so much to offer in this. Honestly, I'm I'm just... I'm thrilled for you that you did it at the time you did, and obviously you (laughs) didn't know a pandemic was coming. But you spoke out No, I didn't (laughs) (laughs) No. But you spoke out in a way that is so wonderfully helpful. Now I confess when somebody comes along and says, Oh, you need to take care of yourself, you know, you're you're so busy and they can see that and they offer that up. That's sometimes just so incredibly annoying. You go, Oh, that's another thing to add to my list of all the things I've got to do. Help us go into the self care part of this because that's that is what's so rich in this book, is there's really tools that people Can be introduced to and can be helped with. Tell us a little bit about how do we go from being annoyed that somebody said you've got to be taking care of yourself on the side to actually doing that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and I resonate so much with that. As I'm sure you know, or after reading my book, that I used to think self care was just something I didn't deserve, but it was just you know going to get nails done or just things that um, didn't resonate with me necessarily. And it was just about physical things that I did. Um, And so I, I, and it felt like one more thing to do, that I didn't have time for, or I didn't deserve, or just didn't didn't feel right in the face of so much suffering around me. Um, And so for me, I really had to reorient to, to soul care, to taking care of myself, and to what are those barriers that affect my ability to take care of myself? And to seeing that actually, if I am more grounded, in my identity as a beloved one uh, that I live and breathe and move out of that place and I interact with people in a different way. So I'm actually better able to be present to the person in front of me when I am living in, in a grounded way than I am when I'm all sped up and I'm working um, thinking that I'm doing things that are well and healthy. Um, so it's not necessarily just doing things differently in my life, but it's a, um, a different posture in which I in which I live my life.
0: Uh, it, it sounds to me, uh, even as we're talking about it, I, I can't help but ask you, tell me a little bit about your journey with Henry now and how has he been in yeah. some way, how has his writing helped you? What did it open up for you?
1: It's hard to know even where to begin when I think about that because um, now has demonstrated to me so beautifully an intimacy with God uh, as well as a willingness to be vulnerable and accept his own brokenness. Um And also a heart for people who are oppressed and marginalized by society. Um, So I that whether that's from the life of the beloved, him talking about um, being the beloved and becoming the beloved. I mean, actually, I've just been listening to the podcast and you've been replaying some of those talks that he gave about becoming the beloved. Um, And the way that he talks about being chosen, being blessed, broken and given to people um, that, that, it's okay to be, um, to be ourselves, that we, that we are, we, and that not only is it okay, but God knows that we, um, don't have it all together and he, God still chooses us and blesses us. And as we are broken, we are also given to others. Um, another one of the keys that has stuck with me from now in writing is the movement from solitude to community, to ministry. And, you know, that has given me permission to say, I need time alone. I need time of silence, of connection with God. Um, and that's not selfish. I think so that, that reorientation, again, from self-care to soul care, is saying um, it's not it's not selfish to say that I need care and that I need time to connect with God. Um, but I also need community, that we need support as, as caregivers, as people who are on the front lines. Just as people in general, we need support from each other Um, And then we are also able to be better present in ministry. And sometimes it's not that direct of a flow. You know, our our community is people that we also are loving and and ministering as a a co-laboring and a a mutual transformation that can happen. And yeah, I I just love now emphasis that we need need care in those ways. We need solitude. we need community, um, and we are then able to also love people around us in more healthy
0: ways. Well, I, I'm delighted I'm delighted you, you have honored him, I think in the title of your book, but obviously there's little pieces within the book where where there are I get a feeling for how Henry has impacted your life and helped you. And there's nothing better in the world than being able to know you're God's beloved. And it's such hard work. Mm-hmm. In a way it's such hard work. Mm-hmm. We have, I think one of the the great weaknesses is our tendency towards self hatred. When in mm-hmm. fact God looks on us and we and says we're beloved and and okay. doesn't ask us to be anything else but be loved. But we keep thinking, well, do okay. I need to dance for you? Do I need to perform? Do I need to do a bunch of stuff? <laughs> uh, but I, what I found so interesting for me as I was reading your book was the many very healthy practices and exercises you have woven into this every single chapter. Mm. Wonderful wonderful resources yeah. of books that you've recommended, but also, you know, you've been generous. It's a generous book. It's one which I will gladly, I already thought of several people that I want to give it to, but it's a generous yeah. book with full of good ideas, full of how to, um, in a sense, feed that inner life. Um, I mm-hmm. sense that you've gone to some rules and some some possibilities that probably weren't part of your first uh, tradition as, as a believer in christ but you really seem to me like you're you're entering in i mean i i i read you mm-hmm. some of the things tell me some of the things that are helpful for you what's working for you
1: you're very right and perceptive that I've, I've kind of grown in my own practices and again not just as a things to add but just as a as simple practices and ways to to ground myself throughout the day um and I think centering prayer is one that um, has been very helpful for me as someone who loves to do and to be successful uh-huh. and to feel like I'm helpful and I'm productive to say, stop and be still uh, in God's presence. You don't need to do anything right now. God loves you just for who you are. Uh, just be still and uh, allow yourself to be in the presence of your creator. Um, as well as there's a a, a dual practice connected to centering prayer called welcoming prayer, um, that is also developed by contemplative outreach, um, where we practice in the moment, you know, acknowledging what we're feeling, welcoming God into our emotion, and um, and then letting go of our those needs for power control, security. Well, I think they're security, safety, um, power and control, and um, affection and esteem, and so just even recognizing those. So those are normal human, healthy needs, and yet we can be invited to to surrender them to God, um, in in every moment of the day. Um, and so those are those are a couple practices. I think you know I have two little girls. <laughs> <laughs> I have a one year old and a three year old, and so uh, moments of stillness are hard to come by. And yet I find that even when I have five minutes. Um, or ten minutes of quiet, that I'm, I'm better able to interact and be present to them, to whatever comes at me in the day, um, knowing that I'm held and I'm cared for, uh, as I also seek to care for for them and for other people.
0: It was one of the things I enjoyed about your book, where, where when you come to the end, you talk about thriving. Thriving is a great word, and in that mm. portion of the book, you talk, you give the tools for finding the rhythms of rest and renewal and i i mean that's one of the things that i thought was you've just hit on it now by these two kinds of prayer but i just thought there was something in that that i really appreciated and it was that start to try and take a little bit and do it daily and then you can think out farther what has been your experience because it's so easy to to change back you know change is really the question at the root of this you came to burnout and you knew you needed to change, but how? How do you not relapse?
1: Yeah, I mean it's interesting. Even um, so, the daily practice idea actually kind of came from that trauma stewardship uh, book and author. And so it's not from a faith perspective, and yet we often know about. We talk about you know morning quiet time or these different rhythms, and yet there's also a spirit. There's not just a spiritual benefit of connecting, but just an emotional, psychological benefit of having these daily practices. Um. And so when I asked that, the author, Laura, Laura Van witsky in my class, I asked her, you know, how do you not accumulate trauma? And she said, what's your daily practice? <laughs> do it twice a day. Um, and so that was kind of her remedy for, for me accumulating trauma was make sure you're grounding yourself, you're creating space um, to, to let go of what you're carrying. And to even though she wasn't talking about it from necessarily a um, christ center perspective, but just to, for me, a surrendering um, invitation and so um, yes that movement I, I had to have a reorientation for me of creating rhythms of rest um, that it's not just something to do that I should feel stressed about even reorienting of Sabbath that it's a day of delight that God we get to choose what delights us and what calls us some delight in God um, and experiencing God's delight in us and that there's so much freedom in that and there's so much um, just living into that truth that God is um, moves outside of us, too, that God is not just dependent on us, but God moves outside of us. And so I think um, as the a rhythm of a Sabbath rest and a rhythm daily rest uh, has been, you know, I, I also love the Ignatian practice of examining, evening to look back at the day and to see where was I, um, what moments were I, was I drawn to God's presence with me and what Or was I experiencing a lack where I moved away? Um, And so I, and just to reflect in that way on my day. So, and those are, you know, those are simple. That takes five minutes sometimes at the end of the day. Um, That's something I talk about in the book is choosing one thing, like you just said, that you can commit to for a certain time period that works for your life, your stage of life, your, your, what's going on for you, your personality, Um, that's manageable because sometimes we can especially in the new year right we can choose these lofty goals of um, new year's resolutions and then we get disappointed and we relapse and we think oh i can't you know i can't do that that's too hard and so just choosing small steps of change and maybe even in terms of the relapse question is telling somebody else about it having support around it having connection and community again around our desire to change
0: well you you are uh you're a great blessing to me. I have loved the book. I'm yeah. going to be passing it on. I'm going to be encouraging our listeners to buy it. Yeah. What timing? You must find yourself going, my goodness, yeah. God, did you ever go ahead of me in this? The reality that you'd <laughs> come out with a book on what, what it's the soul care for wounded healers. And right now we are surrounded by people who are being, so much is being asked of them. And, and it's, Mm-hmm. It's easy to be burned out. Henry now and had so much to say to caregivers. We have a number of other books mm-hmm. uh, available on those subjects because it was he really understood what it was he could offer and he wanted to offer that. Your book is rich and it's a treat and I'm so so glad so honored to have the chance to chat with you and and uh for people listening you know you can go to our website and there'll be the links to the book and links to uh Bethany's site and um I would encourage you I would say all of us know somebody who's burning out right now uh, in the task of caregiving sometimes it's just at home mm-hmm. because suddenly you're doing so much more and one thing about the book it's an easy book it's a very easy book to read it's it's one where <laughs> you know the it makes such good sense but then you get to some very practical things and you give those as exercises mm-hmm. and you can take it in little chunks and it, it's not a big heavy duty book of I must do this and I must do that I just found it life-giving mm-hmm. and I'm so grateful mm-hmm. that you took time to write this it Thank you. Thank you, Bethany. Thank
1: you. That means a lot. I really wanted it to be something that was life-giving, that kind of shepherded people on their own journey of exploration and healing, um, that didn't re-traumatize people with stories, but just kind of a fellow journey or, um, in, in the work that we need to do.
0: You know, it's interesting because, um, hey, this is the thing that caught me, I'm a workaholic. I I think there's even a fabulous quote you say about yourself. You wrote, when I view needing help as a sign of weakness, I perpetuate my Messiah complex and disempower others. And I just thought there's such honesty in the book. That's why, in a sense, people can dive in and go, if this girl got helped, I can get helped. And and I think (laughs) you're very honest about the journey. So thank you so much for talking with us today. Good to have you on. Oh,
1: thank you so
0: much for having me. Hi, folks. I just want to thank you for taking time to listen. I hope you came away from this interview with Bethany as moved as I was. This is such a timely book. Here in the midst of a pandemic that's impacting us all, burnout is a reality for so many on the front lines of care. I want to encourage you to get Bethany's book. It's full of good advice and helpful practices that you can bring into your life. If you did enjoy this podcast, again, we'd be so grateful if you'd take time to give it a stellar review or a thumbs up or even share it with your friends and family. As well, you'll find links in the show notes for our website and any content, resources, or books discussed in the interview, and even a link to books to get you started, just in case you're new to the writings of Henry Nowen. Thank you again for listening. Until next time.